Hey, it's Naughty. And I'm the Teach. And welcome to Naughty and the Teach. This week, we are your favorite, fantastic black hotties. That's us. This week, we are fantastic. And we have a fantastic digging deep for you as well. But first, we want to talk about some changes that we have made to the podcast. We have a new studio. <laughs> I know that you can't see it. Or we know you can't see it. But... You can hear it. Production value going up. Yes, our production value is slowly going up. We just wanted to share something with you. This. <laughs> We've upgraded. There's no more, you know, vocal sound effects. We got, we got some buttons now. And we are growing. We appreciate you being part of the journey as we grow along as well. Um, also, where we shoot the podcast has changed. We have moved about mm, six feet from where we normally were. We went from, oh, sorry. We went from the dining room table chairs to the couch. So, you know, we're moving on up. Yeah, and it is paying off. We're feeling comfortable. We're feeling relaxed. We're feeling ready to deliver you an amazing episode today. Yes, a quite fantastic one, if I might say. So, I think what we should do is we should pop off. Okay. Hold on, hold on. Let me try to find a sound for popping off. You ready? That's obviously not it, but I just wanted to do. <laughs> he wants to do something. Uh, all right. Naughty, start us off um, with our popping off. If you hear pages turning, that's because I'm working from a notebook because I'm classic. old school. I'm classic. Okay. No. Oh, that's actually a much, much better way to put it. Classic. Yeah. You to go with a classy lady. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm a reformed hoe, not classy at all. No, stop. She classy. Okay. But anyways. So, unfortunately, um, our first popping off is a little, it's not a little bit sad. It just is sad. It's com completely unfortunate. In the past two years, we haven't really gone anywhere when it comes to no-knock warrants. On February 3rd of this year, um, Amir Locke, who was only 22, 22 years young, was shot and killed by police in Minneapolis. Um, they were executing a no-knock search warrant for... Um, someone else in the house that he was visiting. Yes, he was a guest, you know, horrible stay. Would not recommend. Um, and they ended up shooting him. I know, uh, I would not recommend watching the body cam footage. Um, so I can describe it in, sorry, I'm just touching things. I can describe it in a simple way. So on the body cam footage, the police... Um, they open the door. Um, they have like a special key thing and they walk in and the couch, the back of the couch is facing the doorway when they walk in and they say like, police, police, put your hands up. Like, but there's like four or five of them. So it's a lot of directions all at one time and they are flashing lights, um, like flashlights and they all have like these big guns pointed at him and, uh, Amir Locke was licensed to carry a gun, which he had had with him because his family said that he was um, a heavy sleeper. So, and I, I'm, I'm assuming at this point that because of where he was staying in Minneapolis, that he felt that he needed the protection, um, which is why he was licensed to carry a gun. And um, when they, they came in and he's under a blanket, he was like lying on his stomach under like wrapped up in a blanket. And obviously people are screaming at you. He, like he shot up and like not even a second later um he was shot and killed and um through further investigation of what happened um 
there is apparently like he was holding he was holding his firearm so they're saying that you know they were they were afraid but the way he was holding his firearm to people who are in situations like that the way he was holding it displayed that he was not trying to attack because his his hands were or his trigger finger was not on the trigger um he it his thumb his first finger and his middle finger or trigger finger were completely they were holding the handle they were completely away from the from the trigger so people would know that he was holding it for protection and not to kill at that point um the minneapolis uh gun control caucus they even uh cited on the fact side they went on the side of amir Locke and saying that you, he was executed and what and he had done what he was supposed to do or done what any person would have done if people just randomly come into their home or the home that they are staying in to protect themselves um you know right now there isn't a trial but the family has attorneys uh, and you know they're they're going through the process 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 at this point yeah so we got to see what happens and what turns out with this we there's no charges no reprimanding no punishments at the moment but again as per usual when we talk about these types of situations we're talking about human life oh i'm and sorry excuse me i um it's the minnesota gun owners caucus that sided with him yeah we're talking about uh human life and we're talking about the loss of human life regardless to how you feel about it at the end of the day this tragedy is taking a 22 year old who did not? Who just happened to be at a different location, a different home than he would normally be as a guest, and this thing happened. This sad situation, even though he took the proper steps, as reported at of this moment, to be a licensed gun owner, you know, it still end up being killed. Now, again, we have seen many, many situations in where there are literally gun owners who are white. Who walk around with their guns, brandished, displayed in public places, but the way that police officers see them is more not as a, th a threat, but also as a way to, you know, they negotiate with them, they talk to them like yes, human beings. Yes, even if the, the white people are sh actively shooting at them. Yes. You know, and with this, with this particular case, I can understand... Um, that there may be some nuance because the no warrant, knock, yeah. there was a no-knock warrant, but the warrant was being executed for someone else at the because he was a guest. At the same time, though, you are police, and you should be doing police work and knowing who is there when you're going in to an apartment. I know um, I live in an apartment complex. My neighbor was a drug dealer. When SWAT came, they came in the morning because that's when you can normally catch people off guard, Right. But when we came out of our apartment, they told us to be quiet. Like they said, Shh, you know, with their fingers to their lips. And they had us go back into the apartment. And they said, you know, like to wait for a certain amount of time. So they kept everybody else safe. And they told the other people in the hallway, you know, that, that what was happening. And they were very quiet about it. So to me, like I can, like I get that he was at a different place and they were trying to get somebody else. But at the same time, like where's the police work? You know, Breonna Taylor was killed in a no-knock warrant. Where's the, where is Senate with the no-knock warrant bill? You know, th these are things that should have already been handled in our society. I think, sadly, these no-knock warrants and these wrongful deaths are going to keep happening until it happens to somebody who's not black. 
Yeah. I think as long as it's black people who are being killed in these types of ways, they're going to find ways to justify it. Or, I mean, even the Breonna Taylor uh, killer, killers, um, they didn't get any punishment. The other one was basically charged for shooting randomly into other people's walls. Not the fact that he actually killed this woman sleeping in her bed, but more that he was a little bit reckless with the way he was shooting his gun. And it could have hurt other people. Which ridiculous. is, yeah. just, it, it says everything that it needs to say about these types of situations. But bringing it back, human life we're talking about. Another person has unjustifiably lost their lives because of police misexecution. And um, according to Care Eleven News, I this is these these are the this is the only site that it is reporting this right now. But the judge who, um, sorry, the judge from the Derek Chauvin trial was the judge who approved the warrant. So it's like an incredibly disgusting small world. And, you know, it's the same people who are keeping the status quo. There's a lot going on in Minnesota and hearts, prayers. Hopefully everybody stays safe. You, you know, it's just a lot of police abuse, police misconduct, police misexecution that's happening over there. And it really, really needs to be seen or addressed. And I'm not sure what's happening with the lawmakers, with the government, with people who can actually make changes. It's really time to make some changes. And until then, we're going to keep having these types of situations. You know, it'll they'll always come out and make a statement about how sad or how tragic it is and, you know, give thoughts and prayers. Without doing the work. But there needs to actually be work that's done in order to really change this around. And speaking on what you just said, the um, Republican state representative, Patrick, Garfalo, I hope that's how I say your name, um, he said that policies are not made by police but in that they are made by lawmakers. And you are Is he a lawmaker lawmaker? He exactly. Okay. Um so it's it's him, it's you who should be making the change. But you know, like like you just said, like the the police system inherently is corrupt because of how it was created. You know, I'm not gonna argue about good and bad apples. The system was created in was created to um, perpetuate an evolved form of slavery or enslavement, and that that and so inherently the system is corrupt. So lawmakers, you know, you have to protect the people who you who sorry to protect the people who voted for you, even people who didn't vote for you, the people in your community, so that they can be safe because things like this should not happen. A mere lock should be alive. Yeah, and at 22, it's it's just a tragedy at all around. At 22, at 62, at 82, it's a tragedy. No life should be taken like this. It wasn't, it, I'm sorry, it, I don't think it was a life lost. It was a life taken. It was a life stolen, you know, and yeah. that should not happen. Yeah, I agree with you on that. Again, we are seeing glaring, glaring flaws in the system, the training, whatever you want to look at it and call it. Things need to be changed. I don't know what it's going to take to change, but it seems that, you know, every few weeks we're talking about some form of police misconduct and it just it just it just needs to change. But um, let's take a moment. Let's switch gears a bit from this tragic loss of life. And let's talk about the fact that we are entering Black History Month. We're in it. 
Yes. Um, this is our first episode um, for Black History Month. So for me, for the teach, I'm going to be talking about black history facts during this whole month. So I was trying to figure out what should I start with? And then I figured and I realized that there's not a lot of knowledge or information about the origins of black history, where Black History Month came from and why it got started. And I can guarantee you that the origins are not what we all thought. I mean, it's not like they taught us this in school. It's not like they were just like, yeah, here's Black History Month and how it started. We learn a lot about a lot of different things, but we really don't learn about black history, which I need to make sure I say this. I'm sorry. Is American history. Is American history. So that is the important part that we need to keep in mind. Um, so let's talk about the uh, origins of black history. So I need to make sure that I start off by saying the views of Black History Month um, th and the views that we, Naughty and the Teach, have are very U.S. or American-centric. We can't really talk about black history in, from other countries because we are based in the United States. Black history is in every parts of the world, every culture. We just can't really speak on that. So a lot of the facts that we give are going to be very based on U United States and America. So keep that in mind. However... We do acknowledge that black history comes from everybody in the African diaspora. So that means people who are Latine, people from the Caribbean, um, people from South America, who are people in, in India and in, or in Asia, anywhere in the world, uh, even our Aborigines in Australia, anywhere in the world that are black, that their black history has been incorporated into American history because the system kind of works through itself and we have had leaders like Malcolm X who are, yeah, I know for sure Malcolm X and Marcus Garvey who have come from Caribbean backgrounds and, um, you know, have been a part of our American history and our civil, and our civil rights movement. Yeah. I also want to take this time to give a shout out to our international listeners. We appreciate you. We love you. Um, we just want to say if you have any black history facts, whether you're U.S.-based or internationally, drop them in our Instagrams. You can find us at at Naughty Flower, at Naughty and the Teach, and at the Teach NYC. Press the button. Press the button. Oh, which one? The. Bam, bam. Look at that. We got sound effects. But no, seriously, um, reach out to us. Let us know if there's black history facts that you want to share, if it's from your country or if Belgium. it's U.S. based that we didn't, Russia. you know, mention. Please let us know. We will definitely appreciate it. You might even Ireland. hear it repeated with a credit from you as well. So uh, first, first important things to know. Black History Month is officially recognized by the governments of the United States and Canada. It is celebrated in February in both the United States and Canada. However, it is observed also in the United Kingdom. And you guessed it, Ireland. Shout out to Ireland and Ireland fans. However, the UK and Ireland both observe Black History Month in October, which honestly, when I hear about it, I'm like, hmm, that sounds like a better idea. It actually does. 31 days? Can you but, imagine? But, you know, we, we get February. Um, and I'll talk about the reason why February was chosen. Um, we'll talk about that in a second. Sure thing. So in the United States, Black History Month as we know it today isn't how it started. It originally started as Negro History Week in 1926, when the historian Carter G. Woodson, 
name I'm sure a lot of us have never heard of. Have you ever heard of Carter G. Woodson? I'm a black studies major, so yes. Oh, yes. I didn't study black studies, which sadly I didn't. But I never heard that name. And I'm sure a lot of the people who are listening to this and have taking history classes in America might not have heard that name either. Or if they did, it was probably like a footnote of something. Like, yeah, you know, him. They generally show this weird picture of him. That's what most people recognize. I honestly say the picture I saw when doing this research was a weird picture. Yeah, see, that's the picture that they generally oh, show. Man, uh, sorry, Carter. You deserve better. Um, so um, he was part of the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, and he announced that the second week of February was to be named Negro History Week. The, the reason why they chose this particular time, because there were two figures that had important birthdays, which were Abraham Lincoln, which was on February 12th, and Frederick Douglass, who was on February 14th. Black communities have been celebrating these days since the late 19th century. Carter G. Woodson and the organizers felt that the need to be, um, there needed to be some recognition and to stress the importance of the black community. Their achievements and all that tends to get lost and forgotten. And I'm telling you, and believe us, a lot of the achievements, a lot of the importance gets lost. I don't know if it get lost by history, but when you don't teach it or you don't learn about it or you don't know, you have no idea the achievements that a community has made. And that is what happens a lot in the black community here in the United States. Yes, the narrative is controlled by the ruling the the people who have historically ruled so that's all we know it was generally understood that the records a celebration and a tr and traditions needed to be passed down and kept alive or it can go or it can go the ways of many marginalized and forgotten groups before them which is just to just vanish in the thin air um it would take 50 more years 50 more years before that week that negro history week would turn the complete month of February into a recognition from a week to a month. It was officially recognized in the United States in 1976. It took two, two centuries after the U.S. claimed their freedom for their government to acknowledge the history of black people. Two, and remember, black people have been around even before they claimed their independence. But it took them two centuries after that for them to say, hmm, maybe we should acknowledge the achievements and acknowledge that community in general. That is, I mean, that, that's, that, that tracks. That tracks with American history. Yeah, I mean, it seems about right. I mean, uh, honestly, I think, you know, it could have, they could have waited, even sorry, even longer. I'm sorry, I'm touching stuff. I, I, I can't take nice things. I'm sorry, y'all. Um, it would take, yeah, that was two centuries, was, was way long overdue. But that's how Black History Month officially got started. We're only talking about, about what, 50 or so years? Or less than 50 years before it was actually recognized? So, you know, we're upcoming on their 50, the 50th anniversary in 2026. So, mm. but it went from a week to a month. So in the spirit of Black History Month, I want to acknowledge some first. So let's talk about the NAACP. Now, Naughty, I'm not asking you this, but this is a question for the audience. I want to give you, give you about 15 seconds. 
What does the NAACP stand for? Put you down, put down your cell phone. Don't try to Google it. I see you. What does the NAACP stand for? If you're struggling. Oh, I think I actually know it. I, I hope so. You should. You're a black history. Just because I just cause I just cause I study doesn't mean I know all the acronyms. You wanna try? Okay. Yes, I do. Tell me if I'm right. Tell okay. The National Association of the Advancement of Colored People. Yes. The National Association for the Advancement of Colored People is what the NAACP stands for. If you didn't know, I'm sorry. As per usual, the United States school system might have failed you. If you are international, you learned something because I'm not sure how, again, like I said, United States-centric view. If you have an NAACP, you might have known that. But if not... This was an organization that was uh, created in 1908 um, because of the race riots, riots that were happening during that time. Can, can I just yeah, mention yeah. something? So a, a century before that, in I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's 1808. It could be 1805 was when uh, was when Britain legally outlawed the. Um, the, the transatlantic slave trade, like, well, not that they didn't, they, not that they they uh, made it illegal to abduct people and sell them. So the, there was still there was still a slave trade between um, the Caribbean and the U, the the South America the South South America the Caribbean and the U S. But they could not um, export Africans into the New World. Yeah, mm. um, in the United States, a man named John Mercer Langston. I'm sure that's a name a lot of us haven't heard of. Have you? Actually, no. John Mercer Langston was the first black man to become a lawyer when he passed the bar in Ohio in 1854. He also was one of the first ever black men elected to public office in the United States. Hmm. Hera, Hera Rhodes Revels. Hera Rhodes Revels. Have you ever heard that name? No, but is it the other black guy who got elected? Yes, he was the first black person ever elected to the United States Senate. He represented Mississippi, that's a state, from February 1870 to March 1971. Now, if you notice, that's not really a long reign. When he was elected, the lawmen at the time, or the other politicians, refused to allow him to sit in the chamber. They barred him. They did everything they can to throw a fit. Because they were not happy that this man was elected to the Senate. Shocking. It, I mean, yeah, very shocking. But I, 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 no, it's okay. I Let don't me want, just make I sure I said these dates right. It's so what are the February, 18, February 1870 to March 1871. I think I said 1971, just in case it's 1871. That's the that's the Reconstruction. That's like before Lincoln died, which is why this was like able to happen because once Lincoln was assassinated, everything that uh, black people or yeah black people got um, for being free, they got taken taken away. Yeah, things happen to go backwards. And lastly, Shirley Chisholm. She was the first black woman elected to the House of Representatives. She was elected in 1968 and represented the great state of New York, which is where Naughty and the Teach um, is representing. Four years later, she was the first major party black candidate. During her run, her biggest supporters were black women. Shocking. 
white women <laughs> and black men did not really support her. Not shocking at all. It's actually not shocking. They supported the eventual Democratic nominee, George McGovern, who got absolutely crushed by Richard Nixon, who was in himself a very, very problematic president. So remember the first episode when we called him the white devil? So if you're a black man and you was rooting for him at that time, you are part of the problem. And if you, they, I guess they were just like, oh, let's get a white man to go up against another white man. Um, McGovern got absolutely crushed. It was a landslide. It was, and remember, he's coming off a very, very controversial presidency. But, you know, that's just how it was during those times, I guess. When you purposely pick a loser. And I saved this one for last. But I wanted to mention Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson was the first black heavyweight world champion. Back then, they had white world champions and they had black world champions. But Jack Johnson was the first black. There was no Negro belt. He was the heavyweight champion of the world. He went in. He fought all the contenders who had the belt or had the championships. And he beat them. Um, he His reign as champ ran from 1908 to 1915. That's still a really long time. Yeah, seven years is a long time. He is also considered to be one of the greatest heavyweight boxers of all time. Now, I saved Jack Johnson for last for a specific reason. Because he is going to play into our digging deep topic. Wow. So, um, Nordy, anything you want to say to close up this popping off before we start digging deep? I think you did a fantastic job. And you know, you did me you you did the black studies majors proud. I'm glad cuz <laughs> I mean, I'm the teach. You know, if I'm coming here and I'm not teaching somebody something and I'm bungling it and everything, that would have been sad. No, but black history is a really hard thing to get into because there's um mm. not only do you have to like go through the like the American history, then you have to go through all the sources and then you have to actually find out things that are concrete because like I, when it comes to like things like inventions, it, it's actually very hard because um, while a lot of times black people created something, they were under the ownership of a white person. So it's hard to actually get those facts. So you did a really you did a really great job. You broke everything down. You know, I'm talking to you like you're not a teacher. Yeah, but, yeah no, no, you're good. But I, I, I'm just very impressed. I do want to also say that a lot of this information kind of gets lost because there's not a lot of firsthand accounts. There's not a lot of primary sources when it comes down to black people and black history it has to be there are sources but the sources then are typically told from a different perspective uh, yes because a lot of times like that at that point in history a lot of black people were illiterate so their stories are being told by people who are white mm. and then the story like there's also because these not um because of like uh, the rebellious nature of some of these enslaved people, you know, they weren't speaking the English that we might know. Um, while white people were speaking like the like a form of the Queen's English, a lot of the a lot of these times they were uh, black people were speaking um, in Jamaica. It's called patois. You know, Haiti is uh, Creole. We might hear um, Gullah from the from South Carolina, but there are other forms of um, this resistance language where it's not exactly English, but it's not exactly African. It's, it's not exactly, and it's not really, it's a mixture of things. So 
a lot of times everything gets misconstrued, not necessarily on purpose, but just because of a lack of translation. Yeah, it's a, a like a, a good hodgepodge of different black cultures being put together in some way, shape, size, or form. But um, just to close out our popping off, See? we... Sorry, you got me started on the black history. Now no, no, just to close this out, we are going to be revisiting black history facts throughout... Um, the month of February, so you have a good couple. Again, if you have any information, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. We might even consider, you know, sharing it and, and giving you credit for you it. You can give so. us a super special name so and that we can say this super special person, this super special listener gave us this fact about wherever you're from. Yeah. So thank you for that time. And we just want to try something because eventually we're going to, you know, as we're increasing our production value, we're going to be using different things. So I'm going to try something just to transition us from popping off to are digging we, deep. Are so we going to use a camera soon? We will, but here's some sound. Mm. Well, that's only temporary, so <laughs> don't get too attached to it. Unless you like it, then it can stick. You know, we're kind of here to please yes. a little bit, so, not completely. Let's move into our digging deep. And today, uh, Nordy and I decided that we wanted to talk about something that we don't think a lot of people are talking about. And we're going to talk about what is known as fanaticism. And fanaticism is something that we encounter or we see, but we actually don't really focus on too much. So when we are talking about fanaticism, we're talking about our like, appreciation, joy, whatever you want to use in order to talk about things you like, things you root for, sports teams, musicians, artists, whoever it might be. But in order for you to really understand the route that we're trying to go with this actual digging deep, you should hear this definition that we have. So this is our definition of fanaticism. Fanaticism is an extreme and often unquestioning enthusiasm, devotion, or zeal for something such as religion, viewer, stance, or cause. The word fan is a shortening of fanatic. Basically, an extreme interest in something to a degree that some people find unreasonable. So it's important that we mention it goes without saying that this isn't about everyone, just those who take it to the extreme. If this, is, if this isn't you and your fandom, let it fly. It's all good. But if it is you, work on your shit. Merch coming soon. I do want to just say we just shoehorn that in there because that's what we do. Every time. So. um. Ooh, merch. Hashtag allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> we are definitely talking about um, fans and the joy. Not the joy. The actual extremism that some fans or some fanatics may take it. So we're going to break this down into a couple of different parts. We're going to talk about fans of artists, because this has probably been some of the biggest examples of fandom that we have seen. I'm sorry, extreme fanaticism, not fandom. We want to make sure that we separate being a fan of something and being a supporter of something to the extreme fandom that you might see something where you're like, damn, I, I would have never reacted in that way. Why are they doing that? And, you know, with the advert and the widespread usage of the Internet, how that tends to spread itself. We want to talk about the traditional fanaticism, which is sports and how 
sports fanatics tend to react to certain things. We're going to definitely get into that as well. So, you know, I just want to mention, I am a fan of Star Wars. I, right now, have socks that have... It definitely does. Uh, yes, they have uh, Kylo Ren on them with the red lightsaber. Uh, he has both of them, and there's a stormtrooper on my sock as well. That guy. He hasn't seen the movies. I have not seen Star Wars at all. That's going to change. Um, but anyways, but you see, that's my fandom. Forcing uh, the teach to watch Star Wars is kind of where it ends, you know, and other people as well. You got to spread the Star Wars love. But wait, hold on. You're not going to write and talk about how upset you are at the third movie and the choices or the last movie and the choices and the way that they did this and they did that. And you're not going to just go all over the Internet and talk about how terrible and how bad and how, oh, my God, why would they do that? I'm never watching a Star Wars again. I don't support Disney or anything like that. I'm losing my breath trying to say all of those um, things. No, but I am going to complain to my other Star Wars friends because some of that shit just did not make no fucking sense in the last couple movies. But that's okay. I still enjoy them. I still have watched them multiple times. That's okay. But you're not going to call for a specific cut from a specific director because you didn't like the way that the movie came out? No. I mean... But you're not going to go on the internet. I don't understand. I'm confused. Listen, they they added black people or they added more black people for me. So I'm going to let them slide with the shitty ending. It's okay. We can't have it all. Yeah, true. I, you listen, uh, if I got to pick something, I like that I am represented in the sci-fi reality or this or not the sci-fi reality, but I'm in the sci-fi world where in most places we get one character. Listen, uh, you know, Whoopi Goldberg, her back, tired. You know, okay? So I'm glad that there's even John Boyega because he was the one um, in, the fir- in, the, in the installation of the, in the first, in, in the last, he was the only one in the first two movies of the last installation. So I'm glad that they had other black heroes. I'm glad they had other, they, they had heroes that were women. They had women of color. I'm happy that, more people can see themselves. Shout out to Forrest Whitaker too. Like they had more people in the movies so that we can see ourselves. I think that's so important. So I'm going to let that bullshit slide. I, I do want to say, uh, Nodi touched on something that's very important for everybody is that representation matters. And the things you like, the things you enjoy, the things you strive to be, seeing yourself represented in that way can do a lot. When you can see yourself being part of a world part of a universe, a part of something. Ooh, I don't know what's happening to me here. I, I don't know if I'm getting choked up or if I have heartburn. I don't know. <laughs> it's a mixture of the two. Um, what I was saying was representation matters. So when you can see yourself being part of something, it really, it can really change and make you connect even deeper to that thing. And it can add to your fandom. But... The flip side of that is as representation is being asked and for, and in a sense, because consumerism is wide and vast, and it's not like one specific type of people are spending money on these things, it's demanded. Mm -hmm. I'm spending my money for a product. I hope that I can be represented in that product. And because of that call for representation, you have another subset of people who are upset, and their reactions in their fanaticism is to go extreme. They will photo, they will not photo bomb. They will, uh, what do you call this? They will review bomb. Yes. Things because it's represented. It has 
women in it or it has more people of color or they replace the popular character with somebody of color and they're all upset about it. And in their fanaticism, because I can't see that this thing that I like or enjoy is shared with other people. I can't see that it is out there for other people to consume instead of just me. And I, I think that in a lot of these stories, like, um, cause you see it a lot, like with, Anime, you see, like, when it was coming to uh, Donald Glover or Charles Gambino playing Spider-Man in the new movies with superheroes, you see this a lot where um, where generally white people think that they are the only people who can connect with these heroes. But, in fact, the, a lot of a, – a big portion of the reason that they connect with those heroes is simply because they are white. When there's – when marginalized people – inherently connect with these characters because they are always going through immense struggle to um to become and they're going through immense struggle and they are still like this shining light and they are still helping all these people like they you know they're still the hero and even if uh marginalized people are not like stuck in like poverty or any like or any uh, outer struggle just because they are marginalized they are they are struggling just in, just inherently, so that kind of journey that they see that the hero has taken, it it is it it is it's always going to connect, and that in I think that a lot of people just miss that miss that sentiment. I also want to take a moment that say that fire truck. I swear, that fire truck. I think it waits for us to record, and then it just starts coming around and turning on. It's and now that we like, have good mics or better mics, it's like oh yeah, let's be real fucking yeah, loud. You're gonna hear <laughs> the things we have up our production value. But but what I just said still matters. Yes, it matters very, very much. Um, to also add another wrinkle to it is when people are disappointed, it's not that they could just say, I'm disappointed. It's that they have to go to extreme lengths in order to try to sink or sabotage something or someone because they are upset. And. I think it's fine that people are like it's fine if you're upset. You can be upset about something. It, trust that, me. That you don't like who's cast. You don't like this and the third. But I also want like if you are one of those people, I want you to think about like, you know, so much, so much of the of what we see in media are white people, whether like men and women. A lot of it is white people, and when you know black people or non-black people of color when anybody else they there is a moment even people who um are disabled when there is a moment that uh someone who looks like us who is experiencing what we experience can be the star and you haven't seen a scene you like you have not watched a scene in a movie you haven't you haven't um you know you haven't seen anything you haven't heard a song you haven't heard a line and the first thing you do is complain and review bomb and write letters and say that you don't want it you don't like it it's not true to the story how that makes how that makes us feel like why 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 can't we be seen in in the world and then when it comes to things like sci-fi it's actually completely imaginary and the fact that you are upset that in this imaginary universe there are people of color is weird as hell and hella fucking racist like that's just that. Like, it's it's fake. It's fake. Why can't we be in the fake world? Yeah, this is somebody taking their fandom to extreme, extreme limits. You're just saying, 
in my fandom, your this particular one, this extreme version of it, is that I only exist. People who look like me exist. People who I feel or deem should be part of this and only them should be the only ones that exist. And that is an extreme problem. Or like if, um, like in, 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 excuse me, going back to Star Wars, it was okay that Darth Vader was voiced by James Earl Jones. It was okay that Darth Maul was played by um, a black man simply because you could not tell that they were black. Mm. It was a voice, and uh, even, even with Darth Vader, he's dressed in black, he's voiced by a black man, but he is supposed to be considered a villain, at least for the first, um, for the first two movies that he's in, right? Spoiler alert, so sorry. Um, then <laughs> you I know have, the story. Then you have, like, Darth Maul, who is a, supposed to be a, who is a villain, but covered in makeup. So it's okay, because... You know, when it comes to the actual story, they're not black. But so it, you know, it's okay for these people to be supportive, but you can't, but you're not supposed to see them. You're not supposed to know that they're, that they're there. Like, trash or trash, you know, in regular language. Yeah. Yeah. So that's looking at it from a whole fantasy. And there's, there's many different rays, there's many different outlets. And this is just a small sample of what fanatics. That extreme fandom can do. Like what they did to your girl, uh, Hallie, for being a Little Mermaid. Oh yeah, they um, the, uh, one of the most oh, one of the most pressing uh, examples I can remember is there was a book written by Suzanne Collins called The Hunger Games, and in The Hunger Games, before it was adapted to the movie, they do a great description of describing the characters. And they even describe the main character, Katniss, as like this olive-skinned, more like Middle Eastern Mediterranean um, with black hair. But, you know, they cast Jennifer Lawrence, so, you know, they were like, whatever. She's a movie star, white woman, white, white, blue eyes, whatever. She's the opposite of that in the description. But there's a district. I, was it District 8? Anyway, District 8 sounds like Atlanta. So anybody coming from District 8, you're like, oh, yeah, okay, that, that makes sense. District 8 or District 11? I can't remember the district number, but it definitely sounds like a, 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 a place full of people of color, mm-hmm. especially black people. So there was a character in it named Rue. Rue was played by Amanda St- Steinberg. Amandala. Amanda, Amanda, thank you. Amandala Steinberg. Stenberg? Sten. I think it's Steinberg. Stenberg. Sten or Steinberg? Yes. She is a great actress. She played Star in The Hate You Give. Great this was when she was younger. She is one of the emotional centerpieces of the um, story. Her death really, um, spoiler, sorry <laughs> if you haven't seen or read The Hunger Games, but her death really brings out and the main character's humanity, in a sense, and makes her really want to play the game in a way that makes her live and survive. Um, you know, it humanizes the character, which says a lot about Hollywood, because we see this a lot. That you know, a character of color dies. Um, I can look back to that uh, the modern adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. You can look back to the famous movie that made James Dean the hot shit that he was, Rebel Without a Cause. So you know, these are things; these are tropes that Hollywood tends to use. But when people saw, you know, they you connect to Rue in the books before you see the movie. But when they saw that it was a little black girl, who boy did all hell break loose. 
people were going on Twitter talking about how can it be a little N-word? How can, you know, like it was because she was such an important character for the story arc, for the plot, for the main character's growth and development when they saw that this character who was obviously a little black girl was actually a little black girl, the fanatics were very, very upset. And mind you, she's like Hollywood black, so she has wavy hair and light skin. So, And she has uh, Eurocentric features. I, I do want to just say a, a thing about Amandala. She has been you know, talking about appropriation, and she's been talking about these things for a long time. She did you know, turn down a role in Black Panther because she wanted to give it to a darker skin actress, which, you know, that could happen. It could not happen. It's not really up to the actor or actress in order to do that. But, you know, it was a good gesture. Dandy Newton recently, she recently got on live and apologized to dark skin actors for taking their roles and their men. I'm I'm not sure why the men part was added to it. It's because it's like in, in Hollywood, it's important. It's, why I'm saying is that she's Hollywood black is because yeah, that she definitely in, is. in in Hollywood there is a portrayal of black women that um that they they the the closer to 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 whiteness the more beautiful they are and even when these women are dark skin they tend to have eurocentric features when they are on camera that that is the point I'm trying to make and it's great that you know um Amanda Steinberg has has made these um has made these protests, but it doesn't change the fact that part of the reason that she has gotten a lot of these roles is because of her complexion. That doesn't change. And I'm I'm a light-skinned woman too. And the uh, the apology that Thandie Newton was talking about was because she has had roles that the characters were written as dark-skinned oh, yeah. women and she had and she played them. And and yes, if she didn't play them, they would have they would have had another. They would just hired another light-skinned girl. But, but but the but the bigger but the bigger point is that if 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 all pe if if black uh, I'm talking about black women if black women take a stance to work together and say that listen this role was made for this person and now that you have producers like Issa Rae like that are or even are like Ava DuVernay you have these people that are now coming out right even Ryan Coogler that now they can change the way the industry works but it it take it it takes this apology it takes moving forward it takes you know you know it takes all of these people to to change what the outlook is yeah no i hear you is. but i don't want to not credit amandala because she's getting the roles because of her complexion that's not something that she can control but she has taken a stand to say i don't want this role because the same thing like you're saying thandy did was great Amandala did the same thing a little bit before Thandi. So we got to recognize the effort that's put in in order to try to open up the doors for other people. And I'm, I'm not trying to discredit her. I'm just trying to explain why I called her Hollywood white. Oh, no. Hollywood black. We understand. Well, I'm, you understand. I got it. Got it for the audience. Yeah. yeah. So let's talk about. So we're going to talk about another light skinned black woman who has just controlled everything. And her name is. Oh, fuck. I fucked up already. Oh, well, Beyonce. We're going to talk about the beehive. Yeah, go ahead. Go. Sorry. He looked at me like, you're gonna, we're going to have... But if, we, if the beehive comes for us... We'll I mean, be if popping. the beehive comes for us, I don't know what else to do. Like, if they go. come for us, just... Be... You can't stop that train. Yes, but so I did, I did my research, though. 
And um, I like Beyonce. I just want to say that right We're now. We're just going to throw on because I have to. It's <laughs> just what I got to do. Allegedly. You got to do it. Just allegedly. I'm talking about Some of it is based in fact, but I'm still just in case. Allegedly. I'm talking about the different people in the beehive. We're not, we're not going into stories yet. Got you. So in the beehive, there are two different kinds of bees. There are the honeybees. They are sweet. They repost pictures. They comment. They're lovely. Then the people who you see commenting the bees are the killer bees. Those are the people who attack people for, uh, uh, you know, dissing Beyonce or if they perceive that uh, this person that they're attacking has dissed Beyonce. And an example of that is a BuzzFeed article um, written by Chelsea Marshall. She wrote an article about how uh, a panda was pretending to be pregnant to get extra snacks and treats. And um, at right before that, Beyonce had performed, um, I forget the song, but she had performed her uh, Beyonce album. Uh, I think it was, I forget, uh, but she had, she was standing in front of a sign that said feminist. So the, so Chelsea Marshall used that, used that uh, picture and put a panda on it to show that because her article was about how the panda was a feminist because she was, you know, exerting her right to extra treats and whatnot. Um, so because like beyond, like when Beyonce was pregnant with Blue Ivy, people thought that she had fake, that she was actually uh, pregnant and that she actually had a surrogate. So then the beehive, the killer bees attacked Chelsea Marshall because they were like, how dare you diss the queen and bring up that she faked her pregnancy when we know that's not true. Um, and they were like telling her to kill herself. They were like, you know, they were going in attacking her and she, when she describes the story. Oh, yes. The she, internet's favorite threat. Yeah, kill yourself. She like she was like, I, she didn't understand what the context was. And it took the honeybees explaining to her what happened and she was like and then she tried to say like she made the mistake of responding and and saying like why would i ever do that to beyonce and um it wasn't until matt balassi an internet celebrity and a notable quote notable beyonce fan said that chelsea marshall is a beyonce fan and that she wasn't trying to attack beyonce that the killer bees stopped i mean when you have two factions of fans that's yeah. That's a level of fandom that I'm striving for. And then, um, <laughs> you know, when you look at these uh, Beehive pages, like the, their fan pages um, or their regular pages, like, you know, on Twitter or Instagram, and it's, like, crazy because it's, like, it'll be, like, how dare you talk shit about Beyonce? Yeah, me and my boyfriend went on a date, and it was great. Like, what? Like, they're, other than that, they are completely regular pages, you know? It's, like, that extreme fandom when it comes to Beyonce, they will get on, they will go on the attack. Uh, I do want to just say that we think Beyonce is the great. We, we think she's great. There's nothing no, bad about Beyonce. Amazing. She the is the queen. We do recognize her greatness. We recognize everything she has done, all the barriers she broke down, all the opportunities she has given to many, many, many different people. So let's definitely make sure that we give Beyonce her flowers. This isn't about Beyonce. It's about the fandom. It's about the beehive. Yes. And it's about how they can be problematic in defending Beyonce and in their appreciation of Beyonce. In the Music Choice documentary that I watched, one of the beehive people, they um, they had pic like random pictures of Beyonce just posted in their house. They stole posters from Walmart. Like, it's like, you know, like, it's like they have pictures of her from Destiny's Child 
and from when she was a child up and like through her career posted around their house and i think that's a bit much yeah that's that's when you when we could say somebody is obsessed um cue your favorite when we talk about obsessed so So when we talk about being obsessed we're talking about that level of fanaticism when you feel and i'm not saying you can't connect with somebody but when you connect with somebody and then you take it to what by definition an extreme length in your approach in your obsession that is the extremism that we're talking about when you're attacking people um, on the internet because they may have made a mistake or you take their little slight as a slight when it may not even be that and you're telling them to kill themselves to and, kill themselves and thankfully you know uh chelsea marshall it like she thought it was like confusing and then later on thought it was funny but then we have carrie hilson who it's it sent her into a depression that um she said that she had felt completely stuck in for about six years. Extremely talented, Carrie Hilson, just... And she she's written Ooh. some of your favorite songs. Yes. You know? Very talented singer, musician, writer. Oh, she Answer, was... Because she's in a lot of videos, Yes. Too. She just... Oh, man. Yeah. So it all had started because um, uh, she was, like, pushed to make a diss track, and it was... An ambiguous track could have been. In her word, she was pushed. Let's just. No. Um, also, Paul Badon, who produced the record, said that he pushed her Got to you. keep. to So keep, the producer. Yes. Yeah. He like kept pushing her to like hype up the lyrics. So then um, it. So then it was about like, go have your babies like you don't always write. You don't write your music and stuff like that, you know. But it was very ambiguous because people also thought it was about Sierra. So it at, um, at the time that it came out in like, I think, 2013, 2014. Um, it's a turning me on remix. It could have been about any singer who was having kids at that time. It, you know, it was ve- it, it was completely vague. Um, it was that I, it was the then she had another song where she referenced Irreplaceable that people were like, oh, it was about Beyonce, but th- it was it was always just a rumor, and she was still um, like making music, still had her her career was still successful at that time. That or at least her singing career was so successful because I'm not sure if she writes now. Um, then, um, you know, she was at an interview or she was on a red carpet and um, th- these people were interviewing her and they asked her to hold up a magazine that had Jay-Z and Beyonce on it. Now, people were already talking about this rumor, how she dissed Beyonce. So she said she not even in like in a very nice way. She was like, you know, I'm not comfortable with that. I'm just not going to do that. I don't want to cause any issues. Which I think was the right thing to do when it actually makes sense. But of course, people saw this as a slight towards Beyonce, and that's when um, yes, the Killer Bees came after Carrie, and they completely shut her shit down. She like at, after 2014, she has not. If she's written music, that you know, she that's one thing, but she has not excuse me, come out with another album. She has not come out with any, like, she has not performed since then. You know? Like, she, nothing. That And that's how, that's how, that's what these fanatic uh, killer bees were able to do. They were able to end somebody's career because of a rumor, because of someone being uncomfortable doing something because they were already in hot water. Like, 
and they like while I I don't know I don't want to say that they made Carrie Hilson depressed they could have you know they obviously did not help they like what if she already had a threshold they pushed her past it to where she was in a spiral for six years yeah and to add on something that we talked about you know last week was that we have no idea what people are going through so when we are attacking them or going after them, we have no idea what they're already going through in their personal life. We don't know how much we're compounding that, that feeling that they may have that may not be so good, so so nice, so healthy. And, you know, adding this pressure of trying to, and then we can make the argument, oh, they don't seem that sad. People don't always have to seem sad to actually be sad or be going through some stuff. So for us to sit here and debate and say she doesn't seem like that that's not really taken into account that we'd have no idea what's going on with her behind the scenes we need you to take accountability yes. because the operative word is they don't seem seem you don't know everything is based off of what you're seeing and as taylor swift said you don't know what you don't know um but you don't know yeah but before we get to the swifties the fucking beehive even dragged Beyonce. They even mm. that's how you know they're she, just they just be over. they just dragging to drag at this point. So when Beyonce announced that um I, this is for when she did Coachella, when she announced that she was uh one of the greatest performances of all time, by the way. Yes. Um she did it more than once, so you know, it was the first Coachella performance. So um Was that the yellow or the pink outfit? You're thinking of the same performance. She had, They filmed over two different days. But it was two weekends. It was two weekends. No, but she, she. I thought she had that for two years. Uh, I'm pretty sure she did two years. So the, the homecoming is one one year's performance. But it's from two weekends. Two weekends, yeah, yeah, okay, yes. Got two you, week, got yes. You, got you. Sorry about that. It's okay. You know, we, all, we have to clarify when it comes to Beyonce. Um, but, uh, and also, you just love our banter. You love the side talk, so it's okay. <laughs> Um, but she had announced that she was vegan and she was going to, um, and she was helping to do like a Jenny Craig version of these vegan meals for the 22 uh, day revolution. And because she had announced it on good morning America at like 7am, the beehive was mad because they thought that she was going to be releasing another album or she was announcing a tour. And so they dragged her for just saying that she was vegan because I guess they didn't care that much. I guess, you know, they had their limit with Beyonce. Yeah. It's kind of like Rihanna and the Rihanna Navy. They're like, they were hoping for an album release, an album announcement, and now they're like, God, Lee, you now you have a fucking kid. That's yeah. no album. I've seen the corner of the internet where they're just focusing on uh, the fact that she's pregnant and not putting out new music. They're like, the only baby we want is new songs. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and my thing is like... Funny, but it's... <laughs> Terrible. Like I've been a supporter of uh, the Savage Fenty line or Savage X Fenty line for years, and when I had a kid, I was like, "Yo, Home Gun needs to make maternity like sexy maternity lingerie." And I hope now, Rihanna, if you're ever hearing this, I hope now that you are having a kid that you do do that. Thanks. Yeah, keep. I'm not time. having more, but thanks for everybody else. Yeah, so that that opens up the fan base and opens up the, their their pocketbook. And it opens up the Rihanna Navy. Yeah. Um. um Let's talk about Swifties, and then let's get to uh, sports for a little bit, and then let's start wrapping it up because we're almost coming to the end. This part is quick. Oh, damn, you was talking, but you like yeah, yeah, it. No, no, you good, okay. you good. So the Swifties and the Barbs, I, you know, I found, like, basic things about them, that they're fans, 
and that they they go hard for either Taylor Swift or Nicki Minaj. And I'm sorry to clump them together, but y'all are hella secretive as a group. The Beehive has produced their own documentaries about themselves. So, exactly. So sorry, I'm, I didn't mean to react in that way. So, um, I'm 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 just saying, okay? I am just saying. Maybe you had to make your own documentary about you yourselves. Um, but one thing that I did notice that was different between the Beehive and um, Swifties and the Barb's is that Taylor Swift and Nicki Minaj both seem to have um, different circles of fans. So like they have an inner circle of fans who um, they in like they eat with that they might invite over um, to but before they have a tour they might have dinner with that they they reach out to and ask about their family members that they reach out to and send them new music before it's released or they have listening parties for them at one of their homes so there are people who like aside from the the super fan who thinks that they know Nicki Minaj or Taylor Swift because they connect to their music and they know all their lyrics um they know their story that uh they these inner circle fans actually know them and because they have this connection with these celebrities they feel like the fanaticism is even greater you know but like I don't think that they realize that even in these moments when you think that uh Taylor Swift and Nicki Minaj are being like super real they're still on as their persona you know they're still putting on a performance even though you're in these close quarters and um you know it's these people who are part of these different layers of inner circles that, you know, they dox different critics and doxing is like sending out people's private and or publicizing people's private information. Um, they do. And so what they do this to uh, critics who say things that are not um, in favor of their work. And so it, it has gotten to the point where like critics don't even want to talk about them because they don't they don't want their private business put out there. They you know, it's about their safety. Yeah, so we are also seeing another another example of people not understanding that it's a product. Being an artist, being a musician, having fans, the product is your music and their investment into you. So, yeah, they're going to come off personal. And I'm not saying that it can't be genuine. But when we take that and we think, okay, because of that, we need to go extremely ham for them. Yes, support your artist, support your favorite, you know, musician, whatever it might be. But, you know, that connection you make might be real for the moment. But remember, it is a product. It's a product that they're putting out that you can make a connection with them. Don't get me wrong. But they're still there to sell you something. Exactly. You, you, did you still have to pay for that meet and greet? Okay. Yes, they were extremely generous because you gave them money. I'm not saying all artists are like that, but. No, Let's but, look at it from what it really is. You're paying them money to meet them, to hang out with them, to hug them, to get them to sign your whatever, whatever. And, it's a transaction. And if you think that, like, I I know that, like, Taylor Swift and Nicki Minaj, like, they personally invite people. But I also think to an extent, like, it's people working for them, inviting people, checking up on people. Um, and then it's, like, when you're, when, like, that phone call comes, whatever, they say, this is this person and that, 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 that. And then they talk to you. You know, yeah, because um, that's all, all that's going to do. If, if you're that kind of person who's who's actually seeing them, that means you're spending hella money. So they want you to keep doing that. Yeah. So and, and that's part of it. But remember, it's the reactions that 
the fans have in 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 retaliation or in defense of their this artist when it goes to the extreme level it reaches a level of fanaticism um i'm gonna can i transition to sports for a little bit yes press the button oh which which i don't know what button to press you press the other transition button you can, no, no, I mean this is all part. I wanted to just oh, it's still, we okay. need that's a, a a placeholder for whatever we use eventually for our different segments. So that drum beat was just there to separate us from popping off to digging deep. But we're just still talking about digging deep. Oh well, now we're going into sports. Yes. So I originally I mentioned, uh, sorry, earlier I mentioned Jack Johnson, who was a heavyweight champion. He was a black man fighting during a time in which black people didn't have a lot of rights. In fact, for him to become a champion, he had to defeat a white man. Um, even though there was a Negro belt and a white belt, he went and he made sure that he was going to fight the white champion, and he defeated the white champion. Um, at that time, it was unimaginable for him to beat a white man for the title. Um, the fans of boxing, when he beat that champion, absolutely lost their minds. In fact... There's a famous American novelist called Jack London. Oh, I'm sorry, named Jack London. He's of Call of the Wild fame. He called for a great white hope. And what a great white hope was is a white man to step up to defeat Jack Johnson to restore whiteness. Here's a quote that Jack Johnson wrote at the time. He called out a specific uh, former champion who retired, by the way, so he didn't get beat up by Jack Johnson. Landon wrote, Jim Jeffers must now emerge from his alfalfa farm. He, not only did he retire, he went to the farm. And he, and he needs to um, emerge from his alfalfa farm and remove that golden smile from Jack Johnson's face. Jeff, it's up to you. The white man must be rescued. This was a novelist. This is somebody that we still teach in school, his books, and we don't talk about that history. We don't talk about the cultural impact that his call, because the great white hope is something that is heavily charged. It's obviously racist and has racist connotations of it, but this is a man who is taught in American school systems as like, yeah, he wrote great books, but we hide the history. We hide the cultural impact that his novels had, but also his words have, the call that he was doing. Now, this is important. So Jim Jeffries wanted none of that smoke with Jack Johnson, none of it. He was like, fuck that. I'm going to go live on the farm. I don't know if he was a chicken farmer or whatever, but he was like, fuck that. He said alfalfa. He chose to retire, then to face Johnson. When he finally unretired, he fought in what was known at the time, the Battle of the Century. Now, this is important. The Battle of the Century took place on July 4th, 1910. Dag. 1910, y'all call it, 10 years into the century, y'all calling this the Battle of the Century? Maybe the Battle of the Century so far, but what really, <laughs> also, I do want to say, in that century, there were two world wars. And But that was the Battle of the Century. But, you know, I mean, listen, so... And it took place on what is known as Some Americans' Independence Day. July 4th is known as America's uh, Freedom and Independence Day, but it's not really recognized by everybody as being an Independence Day for all. As we know, even when there was freedom or independence for some, there was not freedom or independence for others. So, um, the Battle of the Century 
at the time was scheduled for 45 rounds. Okay. All right. You as a non-boxing fan, when I said that to you, 45 rounds. That translated to me in a different way, but even still, I was like, that sounds fucking stupid. That is a lot. That is 45 rounds of people beating the shit out of each other. And rounds are like 10, 10 minutes? Like three or so minutes. But oh, even but if even it's Even still, three, three minutes. That's listen, still it's three minutes now. I'm not exactly sure how long a round was. It wasn't a minute. It was multiple minutes of people beating the shit. Heavyweight fights now go to twelve rounds maximum. Yeah, if you're naughty, twelve. Like, if you're naughty like me, I was like, I thought like forty-five like rounds of sex. And I was like, that's like even if it's forty-five rounds of sex, much. that's still a lot that's of sex. A lot. That's that's not even fun anymore. Two heavyweights punching the, each other the, in the face and body. Those like forty-five fat, rounds. Those like fat guys. Or yeah, they're they're bigger. Um, you know, they're not muscular now as they were. Uh, I'm sorry, they're not. They weren't as muscular as you know them now. They were like, you know. They would just wait a lot. Like they they, they might have had muscles. They might have had. It was big dad bodies. Big, ooh, <laughs> big ooh, bods. big daddy bodies. Big okay. dad bods punching each other in the face and the stomach and all other parts of the body. Sounds hot. In order to try to win. I mean, for you. But seriously, <laughs> 45 rounds is a lot. That's that's barbarian territory. That's like Roman Colosseum territory hashtag, where people are fighting to the death. Hashtag Spartacus. Yes, hashtag Spartacus. They, 45 rounds is a lot. Damn, sheesh. That's a lot of rounds. Anyway, uh, so Johnson uh, fought uh, Jeffers. Johnson only needed 15 rounds, which is still a lot, to beat Jeffers. Now, it's important to know that Jeffers was getting beat up so badly that he quit. Damn. Because he didn't want to be officially knocked out. So quitting is better? Uh, not today. Um, Boxers want to go out on their shield, meaning they want to go out by getting knocked out and it's not capable for them. They want to take the decision for them to lose the fight away from themselves because I got knocked out. The judges gave the fight to the person. I didn't quit. Mm -hmm. But Jeffers was like, nah, fuck that. I'm getting my ass whipped. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm go back, back to my alfalfa farm. Yes, like I said, I should never fucking left. You um, know, he he was tight. I'm going back to my alfalfa farm. Um, so um. We also need to mention that this was a crowd of mostly white people. And there was even rumors that there was a gunman in the stands that was going to kill Jack Johnson if he was to be emerged victorious. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this particular story up is in the aftermath of this Jack Johnson victory, there were riots that went on that Independence Day where a lot of black people were killed, property was destroyed, fires were set, and assaults were, were made to injure people because the, the, their desired result did not happen. That was 112 years ago. That same practice is repeated today, whether a team wins or loses. We see this repeated a bunch of times when teams play win or lose. It seems to be accepted. Fans of one team would destroy their neighborhoods, major main attractions. They would set fire to cars. And it seems to be genuinely accepted as, oh, that's something that might happen because of this sporting event. I know that the World Cup, and if you're international, you might be able to contest this when teams win or lose. There's always unrest is what they would call it. But it's really violence. It's really destruction of property. It's everything that would be said about people protesting an example of like what we talked about, of police killing somebody, which it doesn't even happen that way all the time, but 
there's this violence that happens and it's meant it's, it's meant to say well you know it happens the team won the team lost the government or the police's response typically when there's major sporting events is they say well we'll send additional officers to a location because they know the fanatics will be there but the officers do very little to actually stop it in fact when you hear about these things like if they the super bowl is coming one team will win, one team will lose. There will probably, probably, I'm sorry, I don't know if I could actually say Super Bowl, so I'm going to replace that and say the big game. The Super big Bowl game is trademar trademarked. For the, the for big the game. Pigskins. For the Ameri American football. Yeah. There will be a winner and there will be a loser. There will probably be some sort of violence. I'm not calling it uh, riots, unrest, whatever. I'm not, I'm not calling it unrest. And their reaction would be, like two or three people would get arrested. It would be very limited arrest. People would come outside like, why the fuck is my car on fire? And say, like, <laughs> Just imagine you chilling in your house. Gotta a game go to happens. Because the game is on Sunday. You, you go to go to work on Monday morning. You're like, why the fuck is my car burnt down? Yeah. And then all of a sudden you come out and your, your car's on fire. And you can't get to work. Or you got to, you know, it's just, these are the things that happen. And in their fanaticism, they take these wins or losses personally. We won. We won. Let's fuck shit up. We lost. Let's fuck shit up. That is just an extreme response. I have a favorite team. I'm a New York Mets fan, if you've been listening. Though, I think the most extreme reaction I would have if the Mets win is I might cry. I might. I don't know. He would cry. I might because you wait for something. You're like, yeah, this will be the year. But that's it. Some people might see that as an extreme, extreme, but I'm not going out there punching Yankee fans in the face. You were like four the last time they won. I was not four, but thank you. Wait, how old? Wait. I was younger, but hold on. Younger? Oh, wow. We're going to, thank you. So um, we have to keep that in mind that in fanaticism and in your extreme fandom, quote unquote, people tend to take it to an extreme, extreme level. Um, we see this in a couple of situations. There was a situation that happened recently during the American football playoff game that happened in Los Angeles, which is literally SoFi Field is going to be the site of the Super Bowl, where and it's the home of the Los Angeles Rams. And one, a 49ers fan went to the game, was in the parking lot, got into an altercation with a Rams fan. We don't know why. Um, I do know that I've seen a lot of fight videos and stands to where the home team is like, fuck that team, and then they get into this literal altercation. People get targeted. It's not lighthearted heckling. It's I'm trying to ruin you, hurt your feelings, or I'm trying to fuck you up. And whatever the situation happened, which in all intents, it could be a, a, a reaction of extreme fandom where this 49ers fan got punched, was knocked out, was laid out, they had to put him in a medically induced coma. Now, <laughs> the reaction for SoFi, the NFL, and the security team was, we don't need to, this is a one-off incident. We have great security. But the thing they don't mention is that this person, allegedly, was in the parking lot, unconscious, knocked out for 30 minutes. Yeah. I do want to say, if your security is tight, it's not going to take them 30 minutes. To get to somebody. I mean... But and this, this happens in basketball, too. Yep. 
Um, we do. I remember Sons in Four guy. Yeah, Sons in Sons Four. Sons in Four. And, yeah. And like, luckily, like they were targeting this guy. They thought they were gonna get him. He beat the shit out of him, and then he <laughs> yelled Sons in Four. We watched the um, was it Stefan Marbury where the yes, it was Stefan Marbury documentary where a. I don't remember why the fan got upset at Stefan Marbury. I think it was because he was uh, changing teams, and the fan tried to punch him in the face. Like what? Like what the fuck? Like you've done, like I get that you're a fan of the team and you can be upset that they're leaving, but you do not control these people. You do not own these people. I also want to say these are professional fucking athletes. Yeah, like, you should not be throwing punches at professional athletes. Oh, real quick before before we go, because we have to wrap it up soon. Um, there was there's a, a UFC fighter. His name is Kevin Holland. He is actually very entertaining. He there's this there was this guy who was trolling him like I'll fucking choke you out. I'll choke you out. So Kevin Holland paid for his room, paid for his travel to meet him in the gym. It did not go the way the fan thought it was gonna go because he thought oh I can because you know you watch this you're like I can fuck that guy up. I don't know if you're drinking or whatever you. <laughs> it's mostly men. Be- it's mostly men who just feels like they're they're. Bravado it's alpha is. maleness, you know. And um, they, he, he, he went easy on him because trust me, he could have really, really did damage. But he was nice about it. But those are the things that happen. And when you have this fandom, this this fanaticism of you and what you enjoy, and you should, other people can't enjoy it. Their representation shouldn't be there. The fan, my team won. I'm fucking shit up. My team lost. I'm fucking shit up. Those are extreme reactions to shit. Yeah, and it's just completely unnecessary and just very dangerous. Yeah, and again, we started off by saying, you know, in your fandom, enjoy it. Love your fandom. But if you know you take it to the extreme, work on your shit. Really think about where does that come from? Does it feel like you need to belong by acting in this extreme manner? Or is it something else? Really think about it and really, really understand it. If you're at the point where you're attacking people, like if you're that you're attacking people who don't like the team you like or the artist you like, then maybe you need to think about like, am I a bully? And like the like the teacher said, like why do I feel the need to act like that? Why do I feel the need to bully somebody and tell them they need to kill themselves because they don't like X, Y, and Z? Yeah, that's not the way to go. But all right, so we are coming almost to the end, so we want to do a teacher's favorite segment. What is that? Naughty and the Teach Recommends. Again, those are temporary placeholders, but I do like the applause. Thank you very much, uh, studio audience. Um, (laughs) So let's start off with Naughty, as per usual, the queen of the podcast. What do you recommend this week or this episode? Yeah, this week. This week, yeah, yeah. So this week... Um, if you know you're in a good place in life and, um, you know, you can handle it, I would re- like to recommend when they see us. I think it's an important, um, Ooh. it's, it's hard to watch. It's about the exonerated five formerly known as the central park five. Um, it is a hard watch, but it is an important, it, it, but it's very important to watch. And I think that it's also even though I don't necessarily like um, how Oprah interviewed the Exonerated Five, I think it's important to also watch um, to to watch the interview that they had after the film came out with um, with them. I also think that you know uh, to do any kind of background knowledge after you watch it uh, would be great, and to keep in mind that um, 
uh, one of the one of the children, Corey, he was 16 when he was arrested. Um, and they treated him like an adult. When Think about when you were 16, how far away from adulthood that you were. Even though you were two years from 18, how far away from adulthood you truly were. Um, just to keep that in mind, because I work with primary, or I used to work with primarily white teachers, and they were like, oh, yeah, he, he didn't even matter. You know, he was he was practically an adult. And it's like, no, he was a kid. And uh, spoiler alert, he wasn't even there. So, yeah. And uh, the other movie I am going to recommend is a classic like me. It's one of my favorite. It's uh, part of the reason why I love Spike Lee, and it is Do the Right Thing. And... Uh, if you are from New York, I think that you should actually go and check out your your local pizza shops, um, like in uh, like Artichoke Pizza is a, a really good one on Fourth uh, Avenue or Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn. Um, great one to check out. I think it's uh, still relevant today. And um, the the death of the character Radio Rahim is actually based on a real person uh, named Michael Stewart. So you know. We have not. We were talking about Amir Locke in the beginning of this episode. Uh, that was what nineteen. No, it's nineteen eighty nine. Another summer. How far have we come? I mean, we doesn't seem like we made a lot of progress. But I want to try to end this episode on a more positive note. I want to take a time the time for my recommendation to be about a black entertainment family that does not get a lot of flowers. It's the Waynes. They go back for generations. Um, in Living Color spawned a lot of famous celebrities, a lot of famous people. You could catch In Living Color. I think it's on one of the streaming networks. I should have probably let that. But that's not what I want to talk about. I wanted to talk about uh, a movie but with Sean and Marlon, Sean Waynes and Marlon Waynes. It's called Don't Be a Menace to South Central While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood. I remember having to sneak in with my younger brother we um king's plaza is this uh area a uh, mall in brooklyn in which we stood out in the front with our money and we just kept asking adult after adult if they could buy us tickets so we can go see it it was hilarious we really enjoyed it um it was one of the more famous spoofs that the wayne's brothers do or have done um but also give a shout out to the family sean marlin Dame, Damien, Damon, Kim, Keenan, Ivory Waynes. Um, who am I missing? It's like there's like twenty of them. It's their children, but they're. Oh the yeah, children. Damon Waynes Jr. Blah blah blah. Yes. Um, but uh, don't be a menace to South Central while drinking ju your juice in the hood. Don't be a menace to South Central while drinking your juice in the hood. Yes, that's a lot to say, but it takes, it encompasses a spoof of all of these. Uh, how do I say these? These black coming-of-age stories that was about gangs and guns and dying and, and all of that, which had its time and its moment and its place, and that was something that came out in order to add some levity to it. Um, so if you can, if you haven't seen it, if you want to, it's definitely on, I think it's on Netflix. Check it out. It's hilarious. Good, fun way I to... I think all of these are uh, on Netflix this week. Yes. Um, anything you want to add as closing? closing? You know... It's also Lunar New Year right now. Oh, yeah, now. Lunar New Year. Happy to Lunar. You're year celebrating. Of the tiger. You know, Year of the Tiger. 
if you uh, are born in the year of the tiger, this year should be filled with surprises, you know? So good luck. Yes. Um, happy Black History Month, and we will see you next week. <laughs>